Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Kate. Before we get to him, the announcements I have to make are, of course, the website, TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and check out stories that I've written, some stories that the guests have written. See links to all our guests' social media. You can see links to our social media, which is Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. There's a link to our Facebook page and links to Stitcher Radio and iTunes. And if you're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I believe they're called now, please give us a good rating. I'd appreciate that because that boosts our presence there and helps more people find the show. And that would be a cool thing for you to do. If you want to write me and say wonderful things, or maybe you know someone who would be a great fit for the show, or maybe you yourself would be a great fit for the show, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. I'm recording this episode in Alaska. It's my fourth week of five on the MS Volendam on Holland America, performing comedy on a cruise ship. And uh, this is my third summer in Alaska in a row. I'm starting to know this, the southwestern coastline of Alaska. I'm getting to know it pretty well. You got questions about Juno, Skagway, Ketchikan? Send them my way. This is a long time to be on one ship. I'm not going to lie. My previous record was three weeks. I'm a couple days into my fourth, and I still got another one after this. And uh, oof. I'm trying to get into a healthy routine, working out steadily. There's no excuse not to work out on a cruise ship. There's so much downtime. People ask me how much I work on these ships. And in terms of actual performance work, uh, it's about two hours a week total. I have two shows, one night, my main night, which is tonight, actually. I'm in Juneau. And uh, I have a, like, like two 45-minute shows, an early and a late show. And then on the last night of the cruise, it's a seven-day cruise, me and our guest today on the show, Kate, split the bill. We're the two guest entertainers on board, and Kate is a rock violinist. And he and I split the bill. I'll go up and do 20 minutes, and then he'll go up and finish it off with a big, big finale. And we do that two shows on the last night. So that's it. And if you're saying, Mike, that sounds like a lot of downtime, oh, you'd be right. So unless I want to drink myself into a stupor every night, which I don't want to do, it requires some self-discipline. The good news is, is I've managed to find some here, at least in terms of working out. I work out every single day. I try to eat healthy options. I mean, the danger on cruise ships is that when you first start doing them, you eat like you're on vacation, like everybody else, like the passengers, which is something you really cannot do because you will pack on the pounds. And if I did that after five weeks, man, you'd roll me out of here. So there are healthy options on cruise ships, and I'm trying to avail myself of that. There's fresh vegetables, there's salads, there's... I'm trying to do a carbless thing, like a low-carb to no-carb kind of thing. I did it last year and lost some weight, although last year I didn't have any beer, which is a tough thing to do in Alaska, and this year I've allowed myself a little bit of beer. And as you know, that, that will put on weight. But otherwise, I've been pretty good. If the weather's nice, every port we're in, which is Juneau, Skagway, and Ketchikan... 
they all have great hikes you can do right off the ship. So I try to take advantage of that when I can. If it's not raining, and it rains a lot in southwestern Alaska, I've been writing fairly regularly, working on a little travel project that is still too early to talk about right now. If I stick with it, it's going to take a few months to finish, but believe me, when it is done, you will hear about it immediately. Along with writing, I've been reading a lot. I've finished a few books, working on a fourth. And when I tell people this, that I'm working on a cruise ship for multiple weeks, they think it's the greatest thing. And I know you're sitting there thinking, Mike, that sounds awesome. But I'm telling you, after a couple weeks of being on a ship, tell me you're not ready to get off. Most of you would be. I know I am. In the last three months, I've probably spent maybe two full weeks at home. I moved to Santa Monica in mid-March because I really wanted to be at the beach in the summer when the water's warm enough in LA to swim. It's only good for swimming, at least for me, between July, well, July, August, September. Those are the main hottest months and the water's warm enough. And I missed all of July. And what a great feeling it is to pay a lot of rent for your furniture to sit there. So while my furniture is enjoying the ocean breezes, I'm in Alaska. And while my agents in LA have basically forgotten that I exist while floating out here in the ocean, I vow to them that I'm going to be in LA through pretty much all of August, September, and October, lest they disown me forever. Got to keep the home fires burning. You got to keep the home career burning. Because while I'm earning money out here, when it comes to Hollywood, I might as well be on planet Mars. But while I'm here, I've gotten to entertain passengers from all over the world. Last cruise, I think 27 different countries were represented. The ship is usually about one-third Americans. But coming in number two, Australians. A lot of Aussies. They like Alaska. Of course, it's winter right now in Australia. So the Aussies like coming up here and seeing glaciers and things like that. And they, of course, it's beautiful up here. And they only have to cross one ocean. Of course, it's a gigantic ocean, the biggest ocean, but yet for Australians, still not bad. And plus, they're a great crowd. Australians drink a lot. They're blunt. They have no political correctness. They don't get offended by anything. So they're a great comedy crowd. So the bar's making money. We're starting to get a little bit more Chinese, which is great for the casino, but bad for comedy because they do not speak English and they have no interest in my show. Kate, on the other hand, is doing great. And let's talk about Kate. By the time I got on board, Kate had already been here, I think, a month and a half. And we're both finishing on the same day. We finished on August 1st. He's a very popular inter entertainer. He, he does well on the comment cards, much better than me, of course. I'm very jealous watching him because he's putting on a big show with a band and lights and music and you know, all the big sound. And he's playing rock violin and he's running all over the place. He's all energy and he's very positive and people respond. They love it. And they should, because he's very talented. I'm also jealous of him because his act translates well to just about any group. He speaks English, Japanese, Chinese. He grew up his first nine years in Japan and then moved to Australia. And he grew up in Brisbane, Australia there. So you can imagine he works a lot throughout Asia, and rightfully so. And he was discovered by a cruise agent busking on the streets of Melbourne. And the rest, as they say, is history. But he's a super nice guy, and it was a pleasure to meet him and work with him. And it's my honor to introduce him to you. So please enjoy my conversation with Kate. Kate. One word like share, Madonna, Eminem. Why just the one word? Is it just um is your last name really long and hard to pronounce or it's just for show business one word's better? Well, my last name is Chang. Oh, that's the easiest. <laughs> but um, yeah, I thought one name, why not? Kate. 
Yeah. Catchy. Yeah. Okay. So you have an interesting story. Here we are on the uh, Volendam, and you have a, an amazing background in that you really straddle just about half of Asia and Australia. So tell people your background and where you're from and where you're living now. Cool. Um, so my name is Katei. Um, I was born in Japan. My father is Chinese, but he was born in South Korea. My mom is from Taiwan, and I grew up in Australia. So a bit of a mix of everything here. <laughs> Is uh, what kind of work was your dad in that he moved so much? Was he a, a criminal of some sort? Not really. Um, he was born in South Korea, but um, he went to Japan to study university actually, and that's where he met my mom. And I was born in Japan, and we decided to move to Australia. So it wasn't very much about his work or anything. It was basically for us kids um, to have a better future, so that we moved to Australia. So you moved to Australia, and I know a lot of Australians when they take off. They take off for like a year. They go travel. So was travel like a big deal in your family? Did you guys just go around Australia a lot or did you go all over Asia? Well, um, I was very fortunate as a kid that we traveled a lot with mom and dad um, for holidays and stuff like that. So, But um, interesting story, before we um, moved to Australia, we actually moved to Argentina. Um, back in the days, like I remember from my, what my dad told me was um, if you lived there for at least three months or something, we're talking about back in like late 80s yeah okay. um they will give you like a citizenship or a permanent residency so apparently the whole family we had like an argentinian citizenship back in the 80s um but then my grandma said why don't you move to australia and see because her family lived there so we went to australia to have a look um and i think my dad decided australia was better than argentina at that point so we decided to go to australia instead of staying in argentina with your background though you are between korea china and uh, Taiwan and Japan, you have the perfect California background. Was that ever on an option? I have no idea. Well, <laughs> you just, I just described half of Los Angeles. You never even, they never even uh, thought of uh, ever think of going to the States or emigrating there? Well, I think, I think for, as, as an adult now, um, I realized that I think what my dad wanted to do was um, to go to America um, at the end of the whole deal because I think if you're, if you go to Argentina, I think you could get a green card or something no. back then and I think that's what dad was trying to do yeah but I guess we didn't and we just stayed in Australia you know what kind of work was he in um what was he doing in Japan he was helping my grandfather from Taiwan so my mom's side um they were doing a lot of like I'm not sure what they did um but when we moved to Australia dad decides to open a Japanese restaurant so obviously yeah <laughs> So were you in Melbourne all, all the whole time? No, actually, uh, our family lives in Brisbane. So I grew oh, up in Brisbane. I only moved to Melbourne about six years ago. So, yeah. So I know nothing about Brisbane. I've been to Melbourne a couple of times and, and Sydney. But uh, I went through Brisbane and spent half a day there. So all I remembered was the um, weather reminded me of Miami. And it's about the same size, like a million people or so, right? And yeah, it's, it's very tropical. Yeah. So what is it like growing up there? Did you get into like surfing and all that other stuff? Well, you know, it's, there's a lot of surfing culture, beach culture. Uh, the weather's great. It's hot, you know. Um, but as a kid growing up, um, I didn't think much of it, you know. It was just basically where you lived and where you grew up. So um, what I can tell you is um, back in this is early 90s, there wasn't much um, places being developed yet. So as a kid, you could take a bike like a bicycle and go around everywhere exploring you know but i think you can't do that nowadays it's everything's developed right now so yeah so if people are going to go to brisbane and people are traveling say americans they're going to go all the way to australia 
If they're going to go to Brisbane, what what do they need to see if they're in Brisbane? Brisbane. Oh, wow, wow. Um I think I think from top of my head, if you want to hold, if you want to hold a koala, <laughs> I think Brisbane's the place. I think everywhere else you're not supposed to or you're not you're not allowed to, but in Brisbane you can actually. So you go to a place called the Koala Sanctuary, Alma Park Zoo, I think. That's where it is. Um and it gets to hold a koala. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> So tell me about Australia and because I know from having been there and, you know, you see that it's a pretty, it's a gigantic country with a small population. And outside of Sydney and Melbourne, that population's really white. <laughs> so was, was there awkwardness? Were you accepted or was there rough times there? Were you teased or anything? Well, as a kid, when I moved to Australia, I... Me and my brother were the only Asians in our school, the whole school. And so I remember the very first day, I only spoke, like, I only, I only knew how to say, my name is Kate. Um, hello, how are you? And count to 10. That was about it. <laughs> so uh, I remember the first day, everybody from the school was, like, looking into the window of my classroom, looking at this Asian kid with black hair and, you know. Um, I felt like a, like a monkey at a zoo, you know. It was weird. But luckily I had a really good teacher who um, helped me uh, make a lot of friends um, from a very, very early age. And, you know what, three months later I was speaking English, like a fluent, um, and, yeah, I made lots of friends. But the people who came after me, um, they tend to stick together with their Asian little groups and stuff like that. So there were a lot of racist stuff and there was fighting and all that. But I never experienced any of it because, I don't know, I guess I was open-minded to accept everything and anything and try everything as well. So, yeah. Is that kind of stuff still going on? Did, did you see? Well, yeah, I guess so. Because all the way through high school there is. But, you know, I, the way I see it, it's there's a problem with the people who bullies and there's a problem who people who get bullied as well you know so um, for me if people try to bully me or try to be racist to me um, I don't take it personally I just laugh it off make a joke about it because all they want is my attention to get angry and you know give them a reaction so I don't give them that reaction um, and I just do what I'm good at which was art and music and stuff like that so slowly people got to see what I can do and that they couldn't so that they respect me for who I am and what I can do. So I've never had a problem with racism at all, all the way through high school or university, you know. So did you go to university in, in Australia? Yeah, I did. I went to the Queensland Conservatory of Music in oh. Brisbane because I major in violin. Um, I did everything all the way to um, end of my bachelor's. I did my post-grad in contemporary violin. So yeah, music all my life. So you weren't one of those Aussies that I met in hostels throughout Europe that, you know, travel. I'm leaving for a year and a half. No, 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 not one of those, not one of those. Um, I went straight to university and did everything, did everything, you know. Um, obviously, coming from an Asian family, my mom and dad wanted me to do doctor or lawyer or all that kind of stuff. But I don't know, I just kept to my music, you know, yeah. Did you travel back to Asia to see family or anything? Yeah, we usually do. Um, pretty much once a year. We try to once a year. But um, at the end of my high school years, you know, with all the exams and all that kind of stuff, there wasn't much opportunity for us to go back. But during university, uh, afterwards, yeah, every year. And then I actually traveled back to Japan back in 2006 um, to try and make a career out of my you know, music and become a rock violinist there. And, and finally, like 2009, I got a record deal through Victor Entertainment to release my first album there as a artist in Japan, yeah. Did you go to Tokyo? Of course, Tokyo is where I was born. So Tokyo is like my backyard. Um, it was great to go back, actually. Um, as a kid, uh, when you're born then, you know, I was there until about nine years old. All you know about Japan is basically 
school, go home, you know, hang with mom and dad and friends. But as an adult, when you go there, you get to see a lot of different things. You know, you're paying rent and dark side. Exactly. And then um, there's stuff that you really enjoy. There's stuff that you don't enjoy as well. But as a whole, um, I think there's uh, still a love for Japan inside of myself that I like being there. Yeah. So I've only been to Tokyo. I went to Tokyo and Kyoto. So I've only been to Japan once, but I loved it. But Tokyo can be very expensive. So do you have any tips for people who are traveling there, how to keep their costs down? Well, Tokyo is a great place where there's a lot of selections for you as a traveler as well and also as a local. Um, if you're traveling and, you know, if you're staying at, a, say, an Airbnb with the kitchen, which is great, you know, um, what I like to do when I'm traveling, if I have a bit of time in the same city, is to live like a local. So go to their supermarket, um, go to their parks, go to, you know, all that local stuff. So I like to cook as well. So go to a supermarket on a market day, which is like a cheapest day, everything's on sale, um, and get some groceries. Um, and if you want to eat out there's cheap food and there's expensive food yeah there's so many selections to choose from especially like like bowl of ramen it's just so good it's so good so what are the what are the neighborhoods people should stay in that's probably like best to see things and get around i think i was in shibuya yeah shibuya is like my backyard too i love that place you know um but japan there's so much to do and so much to see even in just one tokyo you know there's so many places to go um uh, I don't know. I guess if you have never been to Japan, you have to go to Shibuya, check out how busy it is. You got to have to go to Harajuku and see how crazy that place is. Um, if you want to go, you know, the nightlife and party around, Shinjuku is a place to go. So there's, yeah, selections of everything over right. in Japan. So what about getting out of Tokyo? I mean, Kyoto, I always recommend to people. What are some other places to go? Osaka is great. If you go to Osaka, there's obviously uh, you know, a short train trip to Kyoto to have a look. Um, there's other places like Nagoya. There's other places like Fukuoka. Even if you want to go get a bit of sun and sea, you can go down to Okinawa, which is a beautiful part of Japan as well. So what happened to the music career when you went there? So you left and came back to Australia. Why didn't you stay in Tokyo? Well, um, 2009, I released my album. It was going well, you know, and then we were talking about the second album, trying to sign the contract, and then the 2011 tsunami and the earthquake hit Japan, and I was all in the middle of all that kind of stuff. And, you know, um, as a foreigner living in Japan, you need to have a bit of work um, to stay there. And I had gigs, you know, six, seven months planned ahead um, prior to the earthquake hitting, because the earthquake hit in March, yeah? And then... um, the crazy thing is, um, one at a time, the the gigs and the concerts got cancelled. Um, and at the end of the all, I got a call from immigration officer saying, you don't have work, so you have to go home back to Australia. So they gave me like a two weeks notice um, as a tourist visa, which means I can't work, I can't record, I can't do any performance. I just have to pack my room up and leave. And we're talking about like, I've lived there for five, six years now, you know, and you know, travel to Japan to chase my dreams and next minute your dreams crush to the ground and you've got nothing and got sent home back to Australia. So I came back to Australia, lived with mom and dad for two years, I've been in Brisbane and every single day I'm not doing anything. I'm, I just wanted to go back to Japan as soon as possible. So I was sitting, just twiddling my thumb, just waiting for a phone call saying, come back to Japan now, but it never happened. Yeah. So um, what I did is I did my own concerts in Brisbane um, once every year, so twice in that two years. Um, and then all the money that I earned 
gave it to charity, so back to Japan or back to um, give it back to the society in Brisbane as well.、Uh, so I gave a bit of money back to, to Brisbane City Hall. They were doing a renovation, so I gave them a bit of money. I grew up in Brisbane, so I thought give back to the society, yeah.、Um, so then after that, you know, like living in Tokyo, especially with your life being so busy and fast and going back to Brisbane where there's <laughs> literally nothing happening, Beach, exactly, you know.、Um, so what I decided to do was to move to Melbourne. And try and be somebody in Australia. Of course, I was a little bit of somebody in Japan, but in Australia, I was, I was nobody. No one knew who I was and what I did. So I went to Melbourne, decided to start from scratch, which is go to the streets and do my busking. We call it busking in Australia,、yeah. but a street musician.、Um, and then started playing on the streets. And then I was doing about three years or four years on the streets. And then I got picked up by my current agent, who's now taken me up on the cruise lines. And I've been working on cruise ships, performing for the last four years. Three, four years on the street. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of street performing. Were you making decent money doing it? Well, you know what? I was paying my bills. Was, it was feeding me. I was comfortable. And the great thing about Melbourne is the, the culture and the arts and the music is happening over in Melbourne. You know?、um, for me to be performing every day, About six to eight hours. doesn't matter if it was raining or sunshine, or I was out there.、Um, and the people of Melbourne are very generous. You know, you have to, you have to be, try to be different to other performers. You've got to put on a show,、um, especially if you're playing a violin、um, and a different style like rock and pop. You're already one step ahead of others there.、Yeah? Um, so, you know, you try to sell CDs, try to interact with the audience.、Um, and yeah. Look, I was paying bills and they do look after you too. Yeah.、Sorry. Were you in the same spot every day like, or did you move it around? We tried to move around. There's a, there's a rule as a busker in Melbourne you have to stay in the same spot for two hours and then you have to move and never come back to the same spot again that day. You have to give people other opportunities、right. to, yeah. So, you know, you try to stay at the same place because people want to come back and see you play. And if you move around too much, they can't find you.、Uh, so, you stick around to the little areas, but you do get to know a lot of the other buskers as well and become friends. And it's a little community, you know, a little family of buskers in Melbourne.、Uh, so, you respect each other. And you kind of figure out what time these guys are there so you avoid that time.、Uh, so, yeah, it's a cool, fun little thing to do. Do you have any of those New York busker stories about people trying to steal your、uh, money or anything like that? Yeah, always, mate, always.、Um, you know, you get people who pretend to put money into the caves and then they grab a whole handful and walk、oh, away.、Man. You get that kind of stuff. You get drunken people. You get people who, I don't know, crazies, I guess, you know, stand in front of you and then start yelling stuff out to you. But like I said, the people in Melbourne are so generous that they do come and protect you. And they'll push them away so that you get to keep on performing instead of breaking your performance.、Um, and then, if something goes out of hand, there's always someone calling the police, and then they're there in less than two minutes and you're protected. So, yeah, it's a cool little city. Tell me about the, the earthquake and the tsunami when you were in Japan. Where, where were you and what were you doing when it hit? So, I had two shows that evening. And I was in the studio rehearsing that morning, came back home, and I was actually on my computer tweeting, saying, Come to my show, blah, 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 tonight. And when you live in Japan, especially Tokyo, you get used to little shakes of the earthquakes, yeah? A little earthquake came, and I looked, I always look into my closet. If I see my jacket swinging, I know it's an earthquake, right? Sometimes you just think, you know, in your mind, but it's actually a real one. And I thought, okay, it's small enough, it's nothing big. And the next minute, you hear the windows shatter, like, it gets louder and louder. And, Obviously, my room shook so hard that all of my books and the shelves like, started collapsing. And I don't know, instinct, I guess. The first thing I did was turn off the gas, open the door, and shove the shoe under the door so that if the 
buildings, slants, I can still get out, yeah? And then it was, especially during that time, it was winter, it was cold, but all I did was put on a jacket, took my violins with me, put on the shoes, and then went outside. I knew that I had to go to an open area because my building was between these two big tall buildings. So if I got crushed, I was out, you know? So I ran out to a um, parking lot, and as I was walking, I feel like there's two giant hands on my shoulder shaking me that I can't, you know, have my balance. And I'm trying to get to this place. And there's hundreds of people already outside. Um, the, the electrical lines are like swinging up and down so hard. All the buildings in Tokyo are built and designed especially for earthquakes so that if it hits, the building itself swerves like a snake, yeah? And then there's a big building where I used to live called Sunshine 60. 60 floor building. And it was swerving like a snake. It was really weird, visually weird to see, you know? And I was there stranded for a couple of hours. Um, the phone lines were dead, but the internet was working. So I tweeted on Twitter and said, I'm... At this location, I am safe. Um, but first time in my whole life, I had no idea who to call because it was only me in Japan. My family was in Brisbane. Um, my agency called me via Skype and told me to stay still. Don't go anywhere. Stay safe. We'll give you a call. And obviously, the gigs that night was cancelled. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I go back home um, and I put on a jacket, um, got a bag with flashlights and canned food and water. Um, and also my passport and ID. I put it in my jacket pocket on my, my chest pocket. The reason is because, you know, touch wood, if I died, someone can identify me and let my family know overseas. Yeah. That was, that's something that I've never thought that I have to do in my whole life. Um, and it was kind of scary moment when I'm thinking, oh my God, this is kind of serious. Yeah. And then that evening afterwards, you go home and then there's no electricity. Next morning, the electricity comes back on and you turn on the TV and you see tsunamis and you see the whole of Japan just in the huge mess, you know. And it's that feeling when I first saw the 9-11 on TV in Australia. I was in university. I was like 20, 19, 20, 21. And you think, oh my goodness, this is really happening, you know. And it's such a surreal thing and you know i'm getting goosebumps already thinking about it it's and it happened to me again like i felt the same feeling in japan and i was like oh my god like what do we do you know um i felt hopeless and there was nothing that i can do to help at all um but for the next month or so it was um constantly um lights out no electricity i had to fill my tank with water like my bathtub with water so that i can still flush the toilet um water, water was coming out of the tap though it was could you drink it it's not drinkable well that's it you know people were like are you allowed to drink it or not you know um and we were afraid that they're gonna stop the water as well um they stop electricity but they won't tell you when they said they need to save electricity, so right. they said every area would have eight hours or ten hours of non-electricity, and then we'll turn it back on after those hours, and then it'll be randomized around Tokyo. So, you know, I could be at work, and then I could come home, and then there could be electricity or not. I have no idea. Um, so, which means if there's no electricity, there's no internet, there's no lights, there's nothing, you know? So I was living, like, with... Um, candles and flashlights and all that kind of stuff for a whole year, a whole month actually, and then slowly got better. But um, there's people who are way worse than myself, you know. Over on the on the other side of Japan, it was like no homes and people who lost their homes that day. All they own is what they were wearing on themselves. So the clothes that they were wearing, the only belongings that they had. So it is quite sad, and you know people try to help, but um, yeah, there's still people over there that's still still struggling. Yeah. Have you not been back since? I have. I have been back ever since. Um, well, On the cruises you go back? Of course, yeah. On the cruises I go back all the time. And then um, 
I love Japan. It's it's I don't know. It's just in my DNA, I guess. You know, I'm not I'm not even Japanese, but、uh, if you were born in there in a place and then you lived there for like ten years as a kid,、um, all you know. You know, is Japan like? Oh, your childhood is in Japan. And when I moved to Australia, my my teacher asked me who I was and what I did, and I I told the whole class. I said, my name is Kate. I'm Japanese. And I came home and I told my mom. I said, Mom, I you know I'm so proud. I, I you know I told everybody that my name is Kate, and I told everyone I'm Japanese. And mom said, No, you're not Japanese at all. Actually, you're actually Chinese and Taiwanese half. You're not Japanese. And I felt betrayed. <laughs> I felt like I felt like I've been. Japanese for the last ten years. Like, what do you mean? My face is Japanese. Like, obviously, as a kid, you don't understand right, right. anything about that, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> so, do you have any other citizenship? Do you, can you have like Taiwanese or anything?、Like、um. Well, in Japan, what happened is if you were born in Japan as a foreigner, um, you are the same as your father until the age of I think it was eighteen or twenty. I can't remember. And then you can get to choose to be Japanese or stay as you are.、Um, in Japan, it's just the one citizenship. So if you become a Japanese, that's it. You can't have a dual citizenship. So when I was in Japan, I had the Taiwanese passport, like my mom and dad.、Um, and then when we moved to Australia, I was ten years old. And in Australia, we can have dual citizenships. So I've obviously I've got the Taiwanese one and the Australian one. But I haven't used my Taiwanese one for the last thirty years. Like it, <laughs> like Australian one is so good to use.、Um, so yeah, and then I lost my privilege. To choose to be become a Japanese because I've left Japan before becoming eighteen or twenty. So,、gotcha. yeah. You know, I hosted a show. I don't want to brag here, but I did host for CNBC the top ten things to do in Taiwan. So, yes, thank you very much. So, I consider myself an expert in、uh, Taiwan, but I've been there twice and I loved it. So, do you ever work in Taipei much, or you go back there? Well, my wife is from Taipei,、oh, really? um, so we do visit her family.、Uh, we try to visit every once a year or even twice.、Um, but the beauty about working on cruise ships is like because the reason I, I, I the reason I work a lot on cruise ships all year round is because I speak Japanese fluently, I speak Chinese as well, and obviously I speak English. So I'm I'm so jealous of you right now. <laughs> so I'm doing the Japan season, I'm doing the Asia season, which is Chinese Taiwanese season, and then everything else、um, that speaks English. So、um, most of the time of the year, like. Um, I'll be doing like a Taiwan season for three months from Taiwan heading out to Japan, and then I'll be doing China season from Shanghai to Japan, and I'll be doing Japan season all around Japan. So I do get to visit Taiwan a lot through the ships. Do the Taiwanese passengers and the Chinese passengers? I mean, are they ever mixed, or it's completely different cruises? They are completely different cruises. Yeah. On purpose, or they just don't want to. I mean, they just book it that way, or they don't want to share a ship. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's it's chartered. It's、yeah. chartered ship. So I think the Taiwanese one is where the Taiwanese travel agency books all of them. So everyone from Taiwan gets on, and obviously there's you know maybe ninety eight percent, ninety five percent Taiwanese, and then you get the rest of the percentage of foreigners from like you know you get America or Japan,、uh, Australia, or you know.、Um, but the one from China is basically all from Shanghai, from Chinese, yeah, all Chinese. It's completely different though. <laughs> Somebody told me,、uh, uh, I think it was on Princess, that they said that they had to retrofit some of their cruise line cruise ships for the Chinese market that was over there because、uh, the bars were dying. They weren't getting any business at the bars because they didn't drink, but they converted some of the bars to hot water stations <laughs> because they always want hot water for their tea and they're always filling、uh, like、um, thermoses full of hot water. Oh, you got one too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's all for tea, but soup as well. They always want hot water. Yeah. 
They do, they do. I, I don't personally. This is ice water in here. I've got okay. ice in here. So, um, but like, like uh, it's the majestic princess that you're talking about. Um, and I'm actually going on that ship in two weeks' time for three weeks around from Shanghai, actually. So I'll be working with a lot of the Chinese passengers. Um, but yeah, like you said, people don't buy much drinks, but they've changed a couple of places into like a like a private karaoke rooms karaoke. and they do pay and they do go and see, yeah they're doing great and the casinos and the shops are doing great oh they are great man <laughs> people just buying like they've never bought before like it's crazy the amount of money they're spending there what i mean so with the chinese market is so huge and these are a lot of um citizens kind of like you know, russians are going through this now that a lot of people there's a whole generations that really haven't traveled much so I mean, are there learning, growing pains on the cruise ships that they're not doing right or getting used to? What are some of the quirks that, that happen with the Chinese? Well, you know, working with different kind of nationalities on board, like the Japanese, Taiwanese, Chinese, they're completely different people. The Japanese are so clean and neat and right. quiet, you know, and then during the show, they'll, you know, cheer loud, and, but they're very, very quiet, they're, you know. Um, Taiwanese are very warm people as well, uh, but also have that tendency of become, you know, um, polite and have good manners. Chinese, <laughs> they've, they've changed a lot, you know. They've become more polite and more, you know, better mannered. But I think one time... Because obviously I, I play rock violin, so my shows are all like rock tunes. And when you're on stage, as you know, you don't see everything beyond the third row because the lights are hitting your eyes. Well, the one time I was performing, I see this crowd, like, I don't know, I can see some mumbling and rumbling down there, like a mosh pit. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like rock show, man. And then I find out later on that apparently there's a guy sitting behind this other guy and he was tapping his foot on his chair as the music was playing and the guy turned around and said please don't kick my chair and the guy said I'm enjoying the music I can do whatever I want so apparently they stood up and started fist fighting and the crew came in and dragged them out and it was a whole brawl and I didn't see it because I was you know too busy performing and I was like that's the kind of stuff you have to deal with when you're on Chinese ships yeah do you have to change your set list enough? I mean, do do the Chinese know uh, ACDC or do you have to like change it up a bit? Well, the beauty about what I do is it's all instrumental music, so I don't sing anything. So, you know, um, I like I think you can still enjoy it if uh, you don't know the song. Of course, of course. Like not to like to brag, but um, <laughs> I mean, I did one performance with TEDx um, in Australia, TED. TED Talks, oh, so yeah, TEDx yeah, yeah. Uh, event, and I talked about how music is a um, international, global language where you don't need any words. It's you know you talk to everybody, um, and it's the beauty of that is for me I can change my set list to like a play a Chinese song for them, but still having the same frame of every show, which is I can do a bit of ACDC, I can do a bit of Led Zeppelin, I can do a bit of you know Chinese songs and a bit of classical songs, and it'll relate to everybody. But I do speak in Chinese if it's the Chinese passengers, yeah. Well, let's go back to Taiwan for travel tips. If people are going to Taiwan, I have a few of my own, but what do you suggest people see in Taiwan? Well, um, like my grandma was in Taiwan, my grandparents were in Taiwan, but I never lived there. Um, I've, what about your wife's family? Of course, right? So I've learned a lot of Taiwan in the last few years since being married with my wife. Um, but what I suggest to do is to go to those night markets. The food yeah. in Taiwan is amazing and they're cheap as well. Uh, there's so many of them everywhere, you know, just get in a cab and just say night market and the driver will probably take you to one of the best ones. So try it out. 
Yeah, we shot at a night market, and I was eating everything on a stick. I had squid on a stick. I had all of it. I had the stinky tofu. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, it, you put the sauce on it. It's much better. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I had that. I had the Din Tai Fung, of course. Oh, good. It's the best. The best. Um, okay, so we went to Taiwan there, and let's see. I've never, I still have never been to mainland China. Oh, yeah. So if I go to Shanghai, which I want to do within a year or so, so I guess I have to see Beijing too, I think so. once, right? I, it was once enough. I don't know. I've I, I've done a ship out of Beijing, but it's not really Beijing because it's not right. near the yeah yeah exactly. So I am in the same boat as you, mate. Like I really? don't really know China that well. It's only the cruise ship ports that I know. Well, Shanghai looks cool. I mean, where do I go there? Um, I don't know what. It looks like the future. Oh, I thought you go to Shanghai all the time. No, well, I I do, but it's literally like joining Shanghai and then you. Veer off somewhere and then you fly home. But this time I'll be in and out of Shanghai every four days, I think. So let me do another interview with you, like in a month's time, and I'll let you know. (laughs) So is the Asian cruising season? Is it only summer or is it all year long? Some ships are only summer, um, but the Diamond Princess, um, they do apparently this year they're doing the whole year in Japan. So I think it used to be like something like April to October, but now they're doing the whole year, um, which is great. Um, But there's other ships. Um, that goes to the other side of Asia, like Malaysia and Singapore and you know Hong Kong, and where it's warm pretty much all through the year. Yeah, yeah, the Thailand ones that they'll go to, and then uh, Bali. Yeah. Bali, that's like a, I describe <laughs> Bali as the uh, like the Cancun for Aussies, or yeah. the you know that's where they go to get drunk and hang out. So, uh, did you go there as a kid, or did like were you a Bali person? Not really. It was pretty much like. When I started cruising on cruise ships, yeah, 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 yeah. So cruises do go to Bali. I still haven't done one. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I've been to Bali, but I didn't go there on a cruise. But it's such a small island to have cruise ships on. It's got to be, you know, overrun almost. And yeah, there's a lot of ships that go from Australia to Indonesia, yeah. of course. And then there's a lot of Aussies that want to go there and on the whole, like you said, it's a Cancun for Australians. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But it's cool. It's cool. You know? Yeah. So if you had a dream gig or just wanted to travel, where do you want to go? What's what's the highest on your list? Well, you know, Alaska was one of the highest, but you know, I've, I've been here on board for the last for the last nine weeks now. Nine weeks. <laughs> nine weeks! Oh my god, I can't believe! Like, I, this is the longest contract I've ever done. Mine too. I'm gonna do five, and you're gonna end up doing like eleven, right? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. I'm, you know, what we do usually is like we fly in, do a week, and then fly out to a different ship or go home. Um, but you know, Alaska's beautiful. I love it. Um, Hawaii, I've done, love it. Uh, the only place I haven't done is like American side and Europe. And the Caribbean, no, no, we don't get booked because we're in Australia, you know, Australian artists get booked for this side of the world. So we'd love to get bookings over there um, on the cruise ship. But, you know, as a traveler, um, I I did travel when I was younger, when I was playing classical music in classical orchestras, used to tour like Europe and all that kind of stuff. But now on cruise ships, you know, I just want to try and get to like, like go back to Italy again. You know what I mean? Like, So you did do that younger? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, we did. Did you ever do that thing? I always envied musicians that because for that reason that you can busk. If worse comes to worse and you're broke, it's like, okay, I'm in Paris. I'm broke. I'm going to go to the Metro. I hear stories of all these musicians that used to do it, like Rod Stewart was a kid, you know, young, and Huey Lewis and all these guys. Yeah, we just, I just played my harmonica in the subway. And just, does that ever go in the back of your mind? It's like, hey, if worse comes to worse, I can always 
get down the subway. I think so. You know, uh, it's a it's a skill that I picked up in Melbourne. Um, like like when you first start busking, you're scared. You you know you're you're not confident, and you know you don't know what's gonna hit you down there. But but the thing is, once you start it. You don't get scared anymore, you know. It's it's basically what I told myself in the beginning is like you practice in public and get paid for it. Yeah. You know, it's basically that. You know, uh, if they don't if they don't like it, they can walk away. Um, so now with that concept, you know, you try to develop it and do put on a show and play some music. And I've got my loop pedal. Um, as long as I've got like a little little amp, you know, and or just acoustically, or go and find a other busker and say, hey, do you mind if we jam? And then you start jamming and then you can share, you know, your incomes or whatever. It's just a cup of coffee or whatever it is. You know, it's 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 basically for fun and to just share the music, especially like the instrument violin. I don't think people get to see that instrument often. You know, if you don't go to a classical concert, if you don't go to you know live gigs much, you don't really see a violin in front of your face, you know? Um we see it in country music sometimes in yeah. the US, but that's it. Of course. And but you know, in Australia, like even especially in the city, you know, if you if you if you're in the city, you see a lot of guitarists there. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of keyboard that plays there, but you know, slowly there's been a lot of violinists coming out because it's such a great instrument. It's so small and it's acoustic, and you can play it anywhere. You know, it's like a harmonica. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. yeah. I used to see it, uh, people playing in the subway in New York, and you know, just the echo of the the wa- off the walls and the tunnels. It, it sounded beautiful, but yeah, I guess you know we call it a fiddle. You know, in the yeah, south. Yeah. So, is there what is the most common request you would get in Melbourne? Uh, for any song, is it ACDC, Akadaka, as I've heard you call it? Yeah, we call it Akadaka, ACDC. I never heard that until this week. <laughs> oh my god! Remember when I was on stage and said, "Yeah, can I play some Akadaka?" Silence. No one knew what Akadaka was. <laughs> All these American passengers like, "What's Akadaka?" Oh my god. Um. Well, I tell you what, the request I get a lot on ships is. Uh, the devil went down to Georgia. Uh, yeah, see, they see a fiddle. That's uh, Americans. Yeah. That's the only, they, that's the only violin song they know. Uh, God, it's so bad. Yeah. And do you, do you indulge it? Do you play it? No, I don't because I, I say, look, I can't sing. I'm really bad with words, so I don't remember the words, and that's why I play the violin. <laughs> and I just say, yeah, and I run away from it. <laughs> what if you could play that like without the word? You guess you could. I mean, you you. You play songs with words that there's no there's no body to it. It's just the intro, the middle, and then the ending, and that's it. You're up there playing Coldplay. I mean, they have words, so I mean, it can be done. Yeah, I guess so. But it's like asking me to play a rapper's rap part where it's just rhythm and there's yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. (laughs) What I mean, what's the craziest song that you play that people think there's no way he can play that on a violin, but you still do. I don't know, like, um, all the stuff that I do. Like, I like to choose songs where there's good melodies and, you know, without the words, it still stands, you know, by itself. Um, but, you know, like, I, having said that, I still play ACDC, I still play Nirvana, like Smells Like Teen Spirit is one of my favourite songs to play. Um, but, you know, also doing a lot of film scores and TV scores as well, like, you know, Game of Thrones theme, Pirates of the Caribbean theme, like, those are, like, my favourite ones to play because it's a lot of fun to play and it's so recognisable that people do recognise it and enjoy it at the same time. What is the song that kills, just kills every time with Japanese audiences? Japanese. Well, there's a there's a there's a song called Jonet's Taidik. It's a it's it's written by this great Japanese violinist in Japan, and it sounds it it's like a Latin kind of feel, and it's being used in a lot of TV shows and TV programs and uh, documentaries in Japan, and so everybody knows this song. Everybody. So when I do it for the ending of my Japanese set in 
Japan for the Diamond Princess, everybody goes crazy. Everybody goes crazy. And it's amazing how they're crazy they go, do you know? What about the Chinese? What are they, what's the song that just they get every time that gets them on their feet? I don't know. I'm st- yeah, I don't know. I'm still like, trying to tap into it, but um, with my wife's help, like she's telling me which songs are hit right now and which ones like the ones you know it's good. Um, so I try to listen to it and I try. I don't even know how to pronounce the names of the songs, you know. Um, but that's probably what I do. Try to see um, what they're into at the moment. I was thinking about uh, every time I see karaoke anywhere around the world, and especially in Asia, I heard the same. Songs and every care. It was a lot of like, I think I heard Desperado by the Eagles in every country and may, and and at least one Beatles song. So that seems like would be kind of universal, right? Like something big like that. Yeah, I think so. Something like that. But yeah. Desperado, I think so. Yeah. How that got so big over there? No, I don't know. I think in Japan is like Hotel um, California too. Yes. yes. And and um, you could do you could wail on Hotel California. It's long though. It's too long. You got to shorten it up. Yeah, I know. I think um, what's the song Aerosmith did it for Armageddon? Yeah, that one is huge in Japan. Don't want to miss a thing. Is that's it? it? That's the one. Uh, yeah, and it's huge in karaoke too. Like always on top really? five. Yeah. <laughs> I bet we're gonna get a karaoke on this ship. Yeah. I bet that would probably do well on any ship, not just in Asia too, right? Well, it's it's a different concept to the Western karaoke. Western karaoke is you sit in a whole group and you sing in front of everybody. But the Asian karaoke... No, it's a private room. I've gone in like the US and in Asia. It's cool. It's like a, it's a your own show. room. Yeah, it's a private show of your own little room. Um, and people do go to... In Japan, people do go to karaoke by themselves mm-hmm. um, and then just practice singing, you know, and just do stress relief, you know. Um, but I think, yeah, I think every ship should have a karaoke box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it would do well. I think it would do well here with the, uh, with the old folks. I really do. Um, they have it in the crew bar downstairs. The Filipino guys are singing. They love it. They love it. They love it. Especially as Desperado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, what is it? Uh, must, must, maybe it's easy to sing. Maybe it's a showy song that they can show off their singing ability, I guess, because it's a, it's a rock ballad, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not too high or too low. I guess you can, you can hit it if you're not. Yeah. But man, every, every time I would go all throughout Asia, I'd be like, oh, if they do Desperado, I swear to God. Yep, there it is. Boom. Um, but okay, we wanted to talk about your, uh, you, have a, you make travel videos. Yes, I do. So this is like a newer thing for you, right? Yes. You have a YouTube channel? Yes, I do. Tell the people about that and where they can see it. Okay. So I've got a YouTube channel um, and it's, I started off doing a lot of like music stuff, uh, music videos, um, covers. But um, I, of course, working on cruise ships, we travel for a living, you know, and it's a shame not to share where we're going and to give them tips of where to go and what to see. Um, and especially now with my wife, we get to travel a lot sometimes. So um, I've started to make little short videos of where we go and what we do. Um, and it's great fun. I've got, I think, um, at least 30 to 35 videos up currently with just us traveling. Uh, there's at least 10 or 12 of me traveling by myself when I first started. Uh, so if you go to YouTube and just go to typing cat studio 99 that's k-a-t-s-t-u-d-i-o 99 um and then you can find my channel um and i've got all the videos there from music stuff to travel stuff to like um some reviews of things like that so yeah that's cool any performance stuff so people see what you do um i'm trying to put more performance stuff as well uh, obviously because i'm a musician but um you know, I tend to like for people come and see me play live. Yeah. You know, uh, it's very difficult to try and film stuff when you're performing and you're only by yourself on the cruise ship sometimes. Um, so, like, you know, I'm trying to get other stuff out there as well. Um, I've got an Instagram 
um, account as well. It's ca- okay. It's Kate underscore violin. That's my username. Um, and I'm trying to do like a a one minute cover of you know different songs every week. As long as there's internet around here in right. <laughs> Alaska, um, yeah, I know. So there's that as well. So yeah, and then you can get all links to all his sites at uh, traveltalespodcast dot com. If you click on the story with Kate, we'll have his uh, links to his social media and everything else, and the YouTube channel right next to the story. And uh, yeah, I guess we could wrap this up. And yeah. uh, let me know, like, after all you've been through and. The more you're seeing now, and now Alaska is a new part of the country or the world you've never been, and music has taken you all around the world now. What has it taught you about the West, the East, uh, you as a person? What have you learned about people in general, and how has it changed you, all this travel? It's funny because when you're on cruise ships, you, you work with a lot of different people. On, you get a different crew every time. You get different bands. You get you work with different cruise directors. You talk to different passengers. Um, I've learned how to to sit back and see the situation. Um, if you want to get something done, there's always a better way of getting it done. Um, well, I guess when I was on land, you know, if you want something done, you you try to do it as fast as possible and try to get it done. But when you're on cruise ships, you have to consider that you are in someone else's home. This is their area this is their world that we're in we don't live here we're here to perform um so you have to respect their home you have to respect their um i guess their status as well um so for example working with the band um if you know that someone's not playing as well as others you'd not you I, i tend not to say it directly at them i tend to go around it so that everything is in a happy medium i guess um you know if someone's rushing i can go sorry i gave you the wrong tempo let's slow it down a little bit you know and then let's work together um i've learned to become more patient i think and become more more soft round edge no, instead of edgy you know like when we were younger in Nigeria. um i think i've learned that and also things happen and you have to try to be flexible and then try to deal with it, um, especially with the travel side of stuff. Like we spend a lot of time on flights, hotels, you know, just always on the go. Um, and things will happen. You do miss a flight, flights get delayed, cancelled. And, you know, um, you have to learn that it is part of the work that we're in. And there's nothing we can do about it and just go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. So as a traveler, give me your worst uh, airline story. And have they ever either dented an instrument or lost your instrument last four years i think i've i've um replaced at least eight suitcases the wheels have gone the handles gone all that kind of stuff um i've had my luggage opened um in bali uh and i was afraid to open it because i thought if someone had planted drugs in there i'll be caught so i had to call security they had to like open it up for me i had to take photos beforehand um so i had like proof with my gopro with all that kind of stuff um it was either in singapore or bali because i flew from bali to singapore and i found my luggage opened by whoever it was it was like done with a what do you call it um screwdriver like ripped open right and I took photos of it, and then they said there's nothing inside that's not, not supposed to be there, which is fine. But obviously, everything's been open, and it was only my CDs and my music that's been like, ripped out and all that. Um, and obviously, I posted on Facebook, and that went viral. It was on the on this ship, like, early this year. It was April this year, yeah. It went viral, and people, like, calling me, have interviews with all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I just, I just you know, I'm trying to tell 
a story to other travelers who are traveling around the world that we have to be careful. Sometimes um, things happen that is not your fault, but you have to pay for it, you know? Um, so I've said, you know, wrap your luggage with those glad wrap looking plastic things at the airport spend five bucks get it done because especially those countries that you know it's going to be dangerous you have to protect yourself yeah. you know it's a, it's a scary word out there sometimes yeah and the drugs in singapore that's death that's like a death panel it says right on the uh, customs form yep. yep that too and so is indonesia as well you know you have to be careful so yeah what about a ship uh, nightmare story. You have any kind of like rough seas, or what? What was been your roughest seas, or anybody get sick, or what happened? Rough sea, rough sea. From traveling from um, Australia, like Tasmania, bottom of Australia, towards New Zealand, the Tasman Sea is quite rough. It's quite rough, and if you're like you know down below deck and you see the waves hitting your porthole, and you go, oh my goodness, or if you're at the top where it's the shakiest part of the ship, um, it gets quite. Yeah, but you know, if you lie on bed, it just feels like someone's rocking you to bed. So yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's great. Yeah, until you have to move, it's all it's all good. Yeah. Um, okay, so what's your next uh, trip? And if people want to see you somewhere, I mean, you're going to be back in Asia, right? All to the end of the year. Yep. So the next ship is two weeks time from now. Um, I get to go home for three days and then repack my bag for a real summer in Asia, um, in Shanghai to Japan on the Majestic Princess for three weeks. After that, I've got three weeks off, the first three weeks off in my whole year, which I'm happy about. Um, but basically, I've got all my scheduling on my Facebook page as well. So if you just type in Katei, that's K-A-T-E-I, um, and then Rock Violin, you can find me there. Um, and uh, all my schedules are there um, until the end of 2019. All on cruise ships. Oh, wow. So if you want to see me perform, you got to go on a cruise ship. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't, oh, we didn't get any uh, Melbourne travel tips. Melbourne. Yeah. Melbourne. Uh, oh. Give us the inside scoop. Give us the, not the most popular stuff. Give us, like, where do the, where do the insiders go? You know what? I I feel like a tourist in Melbourne now because I'm never there. I'm never there. I'm home like three or five days a week, a month, you know. Um, but when I go home, I like to go get a cup, good cup of coffee. You know, there's a lot of uh, flat white. I like my I like my my you know my long blacks, but um. There's a lot of alleyways in Melbourne with great coffee places, you know. Don't go to those big, you know, commercial coffee. Go find the little local one. Um, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're great. Uh, the food is great too. Um, I don't I don't know. Like, I'm still exploring Melbourne. Like, <laughs> Where I live in uh, Santa Monica in L.A., they have a, an Aussie pie shop, and there's like a few of them. That's like the new trend now. And they're, they're actual Aussies. I mean, they're, they're there, but uh, yep. You're invading us everywhere. You, yep. You can't get away from it. Um, well, that's great. Thank you for doing this. Uh, Lord knows we had the time. Yes. <laughs> Plenty of time, mate. <laughs> uh, like I said, if you want to see uh, links to all Kate's stuff, you can go to TravelTalesPodcast.com, and it's there. And um, thanks for doing it, man. Thank you very much. Rock on. Rock on. I'm going to make some requests. Later. Yeah. <laughs> Say goodbye to everyone. Goodbye, everybody. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you sometime on a ship. Or maybe online. Thank you so much for listening.